0: Well, if uh, today's sermon had a rating on it, it'd probably be R. There, there probably should be a warning in the, in the bulletin about today's message. It, today's message is, is going to be offensive. As a matter of fact, I, I, I've got a list of people here I want to offend, and I, I'm trying to get to you. Uh <laughs> I mean, if I don't offend you today, I apologize. It was not for lack of effort. If you'll come back, I promise I'll try to get to you in the next week or two. Uh, But but I'm pretty sure I should get to you today. It's it's a little bit challenging. I I think we'll get to everybody though. That being said, you've had your warning. Let's think about where we are. Last week, we said that the, uh, the purpose of the home is to communicate Christ. It's to communicate God. And that means that each piece of the home, because that's where we're going now for these coming weeks. Today, the marriage and next week, individual, the the, the husband, the wife, parenting, we're going to be breaking it down. It means each piece of the home has as its purpose, ultimately, to communicate Him. So when we come today to look at marriage Whatever we're looking for, whatever we want in this thing, we need to look at it, we need to want it. With the end in mind, it has to communicate God. It has to communicate Christ for it really to work. Now that being said, let's set that side of thought for a moment. And and let's think about what do we normally think of as the purpose of marriage? We probably have kind of traditional thoughts and answers like, well, it's, it's the institution, it's the place where two people who are in love come and they... They spend a life together. They they spend a life together in marriage. We think of marriage as the place for having children, for, for producing the next generation. We think of marriage as the basic building block of society. This is the building block of a community. And folks, these are just kind of the simple general ways that we've looked at marriage. They've been the things that have attracted most people to it for millennia. Now, when you think about what attracts people to marriage, I think it's getting harder and harder to wonder what attracts them there today. I mean, when you think about what society thinks about, what society promotes, what society shows in marriage, there's there's really not much to attract people to marriage anymore. I mean, our society does not really uniquely or very especially uh, applaud uh, a 50-year anniversary anymore. I mean, that's great. That works for you. If that happens for you, I mean, it's better than not, I guess. But it's it's not really a goal of our society. It's not something put forward and applauded by our society anymore. Sex used to be the place that, or excuse me, marriage used to be the place where we built an appropriate moral and right sexual relationship. But that's from a society perspective anymore. That's not true at all. Man, sex now is uh, anywhere, anytime, anyone, any way. No holds. And boy, isn't our society so much better for it? You know, I mean, we've got now upwards towards uh, a million abortions a year. You know, folks, wherever you are in that, pro-life, pro-choice, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, I mean, honestly, did we really intend... That close to a million abortions a year, close to 50 million babies aborted since 1973? Is that the intention? Is that when all the politics is done, is that what it's about? 50 million for free sex? Our, our great sexual freedom has brought about one out of almost every three Americans is carrying a sexually transmitted disease. Isn't that great? One out of three, almost. With all of our sexual freedom, we have more gender confusion, more sexuality confusion than we've ever had before. And what's really incredible in all this, with all of our sex at will, as far as you can go back that we've measured these kinds of things and had these kinds of statistics, we have more dissatisfaction dissatisfaction with the sexual experience today than ever before. So this sexual freedom isn't doing a real good job for us. That used to be what attracted people to marriage. Maybe what used to attract people to marriage is it's the safest place on the planet to live. Safe, safest. What, what do you mean by safest? A- anything you want it to mean. However, you might measure something socioeconomically, health, uh, well-being, prosperity, education... Children, uh, anything you measure comes out better inside of the traditional biblical portrait of a family than any other way of measuring things. Now that's quite of a statement. As a matter of fact, sitting in this room today are people for whom your greatest hurt, your greatest burden in life comes as the product of the traditional family. Your greatest hurt came out of a home. And yet, even though we carry those kinds of hurts, even though the home can do that, the fact is, it's the safest place on earth to live. It may be difficult in the home, but when you try to measure those things in a single parent home, when you try to measure those things in a same-sex couple home, when you try to measure those things in a, in a couple that is living together outside of marriage, folks' statistics get ten times worse. It's much worse. The family is the safest place on the planet to live. And our society absolutely doesn't see it. Apparently, it's not apparent as they look at your home and as they look at my home. I want the goal of my home, the goal of my marriage to show the world that God's way is best. Isn't that kind of a great thought? Isn't that a great goal? I want my home to show the world God's way is best. Uh, The problem is, once we get done thinking about what a great thought that is, what a great goal that is, that goal has a cost. It costs for that to be that way. There is love, there is sacrifice, there is forgiveness. It's hard to do that. It's hard to do it God's way. But God's way will not only show the world that His way is best, but it will also give you the marriage that you want. When we commit ourselves to a home that communicates Him, man, I'll tell you what, things start to come together. Now folks, I've been saying this for three weeks now. Third Sunday, the goal of the home is to communicate Him. What I want to show you now is that's not just a neat idea. Something we're going to try to live by. A neat goal to shoot for. Folks, it's actually how God designed it. And He started with the marriage. When the marriage is doing what God designed the marriage to do, it points to God. The characteristics of a marriage are the characteristics of God. Let me show you what I mean. Look at this chart right here. Folks, when a man and a woman come together... When they're in a happy marriage, we say they're one. The husband and wife come together to be one. And when they're enjoying that oneness, they're showing God's design. Well, guess what one of the key characteristics of God is? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're what? They're one. Right there, look at this. Faithful, key character quality of a marriage. Guess what God is? Faithful. Do you know what throughout the Bible God often calls unfaithfulness to Him? Adultery. He refers to us spiritual adultery when we're unfaithful to Him. And what's the number one command of a marriage? Thou shalt not commit adultery. You and I are to be so devoted, so committed to this idea of faithfulness that there's just no way we would anyway build anything inappropriate with somebody else. And Jesus comes along in the New Testament And he picks up that command and he says, You know, God told you don't commit adultery, and you guys completely don't get it. You think adultery begins when the clothes fly and you hit the sack. You're guilty of adultery way before then. It does not begin when the clothes fly. You're guilty of adultery back here when inappropriate emotions and inappropriate relationships were being developed. It begins with the eyes. It begins in the heart. You stand before God guilty against your marriage long before you ever get to the sack. Because faithfulness is so important to God. How about some of the key words that describe the roles in the marriage? How about that first one for wife submission? Boy, that's just the dirty word of the Bible, isn't it? I mean, you know, folks, think about this. Even us Bible believers... Those us really believe the Bible, even when we get out there in the culture, we just kind of oh, submission, I don't know. kind of embarrassed by that word. It almost makes us sound like cavemen or something. You know, I mean, it's just so inappropriate to use that word. Now we're going to unwrap that word later on. But but did God really inspire something that's meant to be inappropriate? did He really inspire something that's meant to be offensive? Probably not, because if you go to 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says, as God is the head of Christ, so man is the head of the woman. As Christ is submissive to the Father, so the woman is submissive to her husband. Ladies, whatever you're being called on to do, whatever that position is, it's the same position that Christ holds. And I'm sure that's not an issue of inferiority. I'm sure Christ is not a whooping post for the Father. I'm sure it means that, that Christ is not wrong because He thinks. The word submission is not a bad word. Ladies, when you take on that role, you have your best opportunity to show your children, to show your husband, to show the world what Christ is like. Husbands, how about you? The key word in marriage for you is what? Sacrifice. Gosh, I thought the key word for me from the Bible was, I'm always right. And isn't that what it means to be leader of the home? I'm the husband. God ordained me to be right. Now go get me something. You know, we laugh. Isn't that why the world hates submission? Because a lot of us men, that's exactly what we've done with it. Let me tell you something. You should be afraid of the day you stand before God. If you think God's calling your wife to submission means you're always right. And it means you get your way. Because what the Bible says, the key word for you is you sacrifice. You know the needs of your wife. You know the needs of that home. And your needs don't even show up on the radar because you're so devoted to dying to your needs sacrificing your needs so that the home is cared for. Love and forgiveness. Are these not kind of the... I mean, that's just what makes a marriage work, right? You don't have a marriage if you don't have love and forgiveness. Are those not key character qualities of God? Folks, do you see that the very DNA of a marriage is the DNA of God? And if we're not living in light of this, we're missing not only the opportunity... To show God, we're missing what makes a marriage work. We're missing the, the purpose of marriage. And we're going to make everything inside that marriage harder to do. We're going to miss the opportunity to pass on to the next generation of the faith. And folks, do you understand, if you're above the age of 40, you are the generation, I am the generation, that is not passing the faith or marriage to the next generation. They don't believe in God, and they don't believe in marriage. And if they do believe in God, they were probably wondering what in the world was He thinking when He created marriage? Some of you above 40 may be wondering what in the world God was thinking when He created marriage. Well, you know, we don't have to wonder. Did you know we can go right to the spot where God was standing when He thought of marriage? Let's do that this morning. Would you turn with me to to Genesis chapter 2. Easiest book in the Bible to find. Praise the Lord. First book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 should be on page 1, 2, 3 of your Bible. If you don't have one this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you, around you. Hopefully you can reach one or have somebody hand it to you so we can study this together. together. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. Go to verse 21 now. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, Wow, oh my gosh. This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He shall be called, Whoa, man! Man, why is he so excited? She's naked! (laughs) For she was taken from the man. Verse 24, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they became one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, and yet they felt no shame. Folks, when God thought of marriage, He was thinking of you. And He was meeting a need. Now before we begin to unwrap that and understand that, let me say something real quickly to singles. Because I think... Singles sometimes feel almost unsafe in the church. Because quite often we communicate that God's only design, God's only plan is for the family. And that's not true. There is nowhere in Scripture where you are commanded to get married. There's not a command to get married. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually applauds the single life. I'm not saying it applauds selfishness. I'm not saying it applauds bed hopping or bar hopping It does applaud anyone who lays hold of, who seizes the single life, whether you're single for a few years or for your whole life, when you seize that as an opportunity to be wholly devoted to God, to give more and more and more to serving Him, then it applauds that. It actually talks about in Scripture the gift of singleness. I've heard singles pray, Dear God, please don't let me have the gift of singleness. It's not the disease of singleness. It's the gift of singleness. If you don't want it, good news. You don't have it. Okay, with the gift, there is a contentment and a desire. I want to be single for this purpose of knowing and serving God wholeheartedly without any other, the Bible actually says, distractions. The distractions of the home. So so the Bible applauds the single life. Church, we should not look at singles as how do we get them married? Because that's not what the Bible does with them. Having said that, yes, most of the world at some point in time does get married. And what we see in this passage is what God was thinking, what He designed. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at six observations of what God was doing when He built a marriage. And I want to give credit where it's due. I got some help from these observations by a guy named Ed Wheat. Ed Wheat wrote a book called Love Life for Every Married Couple. Best book ever written on marriage. And I promise you, I can't help but think I've read more books on marriage than anybody in this room. And it is the single best one. Love Life for Every Married Couple by Ed Wheat. Wherever you are in marriage, it'll help your marriage. It's a great book. Six observations now that we get from these passages. Number one, male and female. God's idea. Now folks, what we're going to see here as we begin to to look at marriage, we're not going to see any prohibitions. We're not going to see any commands against homosexuality. Those come later in other passages. But what we see in the design is that God intended this kind of relationship to be for a man and a woman. He brings these two people together and they are different Folks, we live in a society that tries to ignore that, don't we? We live in a society that says there's nothing unique about being male, there's nothing unique about being female, and it's as those two unique things come together that it makes a team. Sometimes as we come together as a team, it's not that we're fighting or ignoring the differences to be politically correct and for equality, but we come together as a team and we fight the differences. Women want men to be more like women. And the man wants the woman to be more like him. Folks, we don't need to fight and ignore the differences. We need to know them and understand them and celebrate them. God intended for us to be different and for as those differences come together to make the team a whole. Know the differences. Celebrate the differences. Second observation we can make is marriage was designed by God to meet the first problem in humanity. Loneliness. Now folks, this is really a unique observation. A special observation. As you think about it, where's Adam? Adam is living in a perfect face-to-face relationship with God. Adam is living in a perfect world. And yet in all of this perfection, it is God who says, something's missing. It is God who for the first time in creation says, this is not good. And he brings to the man the woman. She is like him. Now I thought you said, Randy, that we're different. Well, of course you know we're different. Don't believe the lie of society that there's no differences between male and female. But at the same time, the woman is like us in that think of what Adam's experience was. There was two groups of living things. There was God. I'm not him. And there was animals. I'm not them. But the woman, she is like him. And she is a compliment. You see why homosexuality doesn't work? You know, society is forcing us to demand, show us proof that it hurts to let two people express love. Folks, I don't have to show any proof of, of what the ills in society might be or not be. God's design is to bring a couple together. It is a compliment. It is a compliment spiritually. It is a compliment physically. It is a compliment emotionally. And there is something that the woman brings to the man and the man brings to the woman that makes it a compliment. Two women can't do that for each other. Two men cannot do that for each other. It is inside the male-female relationship that a human problem is taken care of. That's by God's design. God brings the woman to be a helper. Don't be slighted by that, ladies. That same word is used of God. God calls Himself a helper to you and me. It's not a word that means lesson. Actually, the word literally means friend or ally. In this world, she will be my ally as we take on the call of God and, the, and obedience to God. Third observation. Marriage was very important for us to remember planned by God to bring what? Don't struggle with it. It's, it's not a hard word happiness right it's kind of why we went down the aisle right not for misery but for happiness it was to be a good thing and we and we see that as as god brings the woman to the man and he and he says woman that word woman in the hebrew language is ishah and it comes from a, a root word in hebrew that means to be soft now, now, can you just picture this? Adam wakes up, and you know, he's rubbing the the sleep dust out of his eyes, and he looks, and God is bringing this woman to him. And I just kind of imagine, you know, Adam walks up, and he he reaches out, and he touches her, <laughs> soft. Kind of, kind of simplistic, isn't it? Not, not much has changed, has it, ladies, <laughs> since the since the very, very beginning? We just can't quite get over that. But I want you to notice something else. Do you notice how holy and how fully Adam accepts her? Adam completely and totally accepts Eve as his wife. Doesn't know a thing about her. Doesn't know if she's going to laugh at his jokes. Doesn't know if they're going to enjoy watching the same thing on TV. Doesn't know anything about her. How can he so completely accept her if she hasn't done anything yet? Because she's from God. He doesn't have to know anything about marriage. He doesn't have to know anything about her. They're from God. And God's good. Let me ask you a question. Do you treat your mate like a gift from God? <laughs> you don't know my mate. It ain't not a gift from God. <laughs> you know what? That might be true. And that may not ever Change, but I wonder. I wonder. Would anything be different at all if you treated them like they were a gift from God? Fourth observation. Marriage must begin with leaving all other relationships in order to establish the the permanent relationship between the one man and the one woman. Extremely simple idea. Extremely simple principle that so many people do not follow and it's why they do not experience oneness in their marriage. When you get married, the relationship rules change. If you're not ready for the rules to change, don't get married. Physical, emotional, Mental dependencies are to be fulfilled first and foremost inside of each other. You're literally to be driven to each other for those dependencies and nowhere else. Starting with that most important relationship you've ever had on this planet prior to marriage, your own parents. We still love and honor mom and dad. We still enjoy time with mom and dad, but the relationship changes. I don't know how many couples I've seen not experience oneness because she still runs home to daddy. She still calls daddy to get needs met. He jumps when mama calls. Now, he won't lift a finger for his wife. But when mama calls, he flies. And there's a lot of mom and dads, and you're sitting in this room right now, who are so proud of yourself, how you have planted yourself, slap in the middle of your children's marriage. If you're there, you're not there by God's design. And you're not there doing what God wants done. You are in the way of what God has for your son, your daughter, and their mate. Another relationship that changes. Relationships with friends. Do we still have friends? Of course we do. Do we still need friends? Yes, we do. And they absolutely pale in comparison to what we're building with our mate. Absolutely biggest relationship that changes. Relationships with the opposite sex. You cannot build relationships with the opposite sex the way you once used to. Oh, that's silly. I can build innocent relationships. Yes, you can. They're innocent until they're not. See, folks, here's a fact of marriage. It hits bumps, doesn't it? It hits low points. They all do. Mine has, yours has, mine will again, yours will again. And guess what? When mine does, i got nowhere to run i got no shoulder to go out there and be consoled. i got nobody who can understand me and cry for me. And I don't want anybody to. They're innocent until they're not. And that's even more true in today's society that absolutely applauds and pushes you into adultery because they want you where they are. So if you build no relationships where that can happen, guess what? It's a whole lot easier to not ever let it happen. It doesn't matter how long the relationship can be innocent. doesn't matter how many times you can do that. The relationship rules change when you get married. Next one. Marriage requires an inseparable joining of husband and wife throughout their lifetime. The word there is cleave. It means to adhere. It means to stick. It means to join fast. The relationship becomes so tight, guess what? You can't pull it apart without incredible ripping and tearing and destruction. That one word cleave, this one idea in Genesis 2.24 is why divorce is so destructive. It's why it hurts, because you can't have this and pull it apart at the same time. Folks, this word, and this is something else that has gotten completely lost in our culture, and I fear has gotten completely lost inside the culture, so let me just say the obvious. It is absolutely a sin to live together outside of marriage. That has never been God's will. It never will be God's will. Nothing has changed about that. That word cleave absolutely implies a very formal, or in our culture, in our society, a very legal bind, a very legal commitment. It is not a relationship that is meant to be entered and exited, tried out and taken off, moved on to the next. There's no trial period. It's, that's not how marriage works. It is impossible to come into it with anything less but total, formal, legal commitment. If you're living in that situation, you're living in a way that God will not bless. That's what being one means. We come together, we cleave It also means we don't live like we're married. We sleep somewhere else, but in every other way we live like we're married. No. You don't enjoy that until the commitment is made. And that's what this sixth observation explains. Marriage means oneness, that in the fullest possible sense, it includes intimate physical union without shame. Why did God create sex? It's because of this idea of oneness. Oneness for God was something that He wanted to be so much bigger than a symbol. So so much bigger than, than a metaphorical idea. He wanted it to be something that literally, physically happened. Something that when a man and a woman came together, that physically in that moment, they actually were in reality one. And when you understand that, you see why? It is impossible to have any concept or attitude that that can be experienced anywhere but in marriage. It is not to be experienced with two people, three people, four people, twenty people. And when it is, it will always be destructive when we come back and try to experience what God had in mind all along. That idea, that oneness is only to be shared with one other person forever on the entire planet. Hebrews chapter 13, think of this, folks, calls the marriage bed holy. Think of what you would reserve the words or places for holy. You and I would rarely put the word holy and sex together, but God has That's how special, that's how unique it is to be between one man and one woman only in marriage. And the result of it is that last most beautiful phrase, they were naked and unashamed. The opportunity to be able to stand before somebody and say, I'm yours. Absolutely nothing to hide. And I trust your acceptance. Does your mate know beyond a shadow of a doubt? They can trust. Your acceptance. Young people. The more sexual partners you have the more you will decrease your opportunity to ever be able to trust your mate's acceptance or give your mate that acceptance. Don't make the mistakes so many in this room have. It's a hard decision. You've got to think about it all the time. You've got to make that decision and that commitment every single day. Sex as a teen is for a few years. Sex and marriage is for 40 or 50. Don't sell out the 40 or 50 for the 4 or 5. God's design. God's design. To trust their acceptance. It's that simple. Does it work? Every time. Those observations will never fail a single couple. Is it hard? Hardest thing you'll ever do. Prayer, sacrifice, love, it requires you. This is the hard part. For a marriage to really work, you have to come to the absolute end of yourself. There's nothing that helps you understand what an utterly selfish person you are like marriage And until you come to the end of that selfishness so that you can focus wholly on loving and serving and blessing somebody else, you will not enjoy what God has for you in marriage. Now remember, I said marriage is about communicating Him. We saw all those character qualities. Well, God doesn't have to come to the end of Himself. If that's the big thing that makes a marriage work... God doesn't have to come to the end of Himself. Well, have to is probably not quite the right word, but does God come to the end of Himself? Listen to this. This is from Philippians chapter 2. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now, let me add a couple of words there. I don't think God will mind in this context. Make your own attitude in marriage that of Christ Jesus. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for His own advantage. You know what the problem in most of our marriages are? We use it for our advantage. How does it serve me? How does it bless me? How does it make me happy? What is she doing for me? What is He doing for me? They don't make me feel... God didn't use that for His own advantage. Instead, He... Listen to this word... He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when He had come as a man in His external form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God never has, and God never will ask you to do something in your marriage that He hadn't already done for you. Your marriage is your greatest opportunity to live like Him, to be like Him. Your marriage with children watching, your marriage with a society watching, is your great opportunity to model God. Now, folks, watch this. For three weeks now, I've used this word over and over and over. The purpose. Guess what? Our marriage has highs and lows, doesn't it? Our mate has highs and lows, don't they? And sometimes my commitment to being what I need to be in that marriage kind of rides with those highs and lows. But what God has done, He's given us a purpose. And my purpose never changes. My purpose doesn't change when my marriage is the best thing in my life and my purpose doesn't change when my marriage is the worst thing in my life. I still have the purpose that in this marriage I will show God. The purpose never changes. Let's pray. God, thank You for something so Beautiful. Thank You for something so wonderful. God, may we trust Your Word and may we depend upon You and Your Word and instructions to follow it so that we can experience the wonder and the beauty of what You have in it. God, we confess to You the lies we have absorbed from our society, the lies we have lived out, driven and motivated by our selfishness, God, we've done a lot of things in our marriage and thinking about how it shows you for most of us is not one of them. May it change today. May it change today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen.